From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. Firearm laws can be confusing and raise a lot of questions. For example, marijuana is now legal in Ohio, but can you smoke pot and own guns? Can anyone carry without a permit in Ohio? Is it legal to have a loaded rifle on your passenger seat? Does every gun sign actually mean no guns? What about protecting property with a gun or shooting in your backyard? We'll talk about all this and more on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Sean Maloney, firearms attorney and co-founder of Second Call Defense. Hi, Sean. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dean. So, Sean, I guess you recently took yet another hunting trip out west. Sean, I got to ask, are there any animals left out there? You know, unfortunately, the good Lord took care of the animals before I got there. Last year's uh, winter kill was terrible, so nobody was very successful in Colorado. But I enjoyed the scenery and enjoyed uh, what game we did see. And I saw plenty of elk, just none that uh, were capable of being retrieved if we shot them because I'm an old man now. So we had plenty within range, but unfortunately, they were over on the other side of a mountain peak. And it would have been an eight-hour trip there and back so to go get them and i'm not up for that anymore so i'm I'm glad that you flew this time you did fly right you didn't do another like last time i remember you said you drove and it was like 26 hours straight yeah which i thought was crazy yeah this time it was just a few hours on the plane and uh transported my firearms you know according to the tsa underneath the airplane and and had a relatively uh calm easy flight that's what i was going to ask if you borrowed a rifle, if you took them, you know, with you, or what did you do? Now, according to the law and the TSA, Trans- Transportation Security, uh, you can take their firearms with you, but they have to be checked under the plane. Now, I took long guns and, and of course, a Glock in that. And so that's a separate case on its own that's locked. And so I, because I flew American, I had to open the, the, the uh, gun case and show them that it was uh, unloaded. In fact, uh, on the way back in Colorado, the airport was so small in Grand Junction, TSA was right there, and they lifted up my gun case and opened it in front of me on a table. And uh, I was cringing as they were flipping it over because they really didn't know what they were doing, but uh, that's so much for the TSA. But then that was locked and it was put underneath the airplane, and I, I picked it up when I returned back home in, in Cincinnati, and when I got to Grand Junction, it was waiting for me in Grand Junction. Well, I'm I'm glad you flew. At least this time you weren't putting any two-legged animals in danger, right? No, not not at all. And and generally I don't, but I have been pulled over since we last spoke coming back from Cleveland, Ohio. That is speeding again? You you yeah, are well, you, you are a lead foot. Allegedly. But I and and as soon as the police officer approached, had my windows rolled down, he approached on my passenger side. The first words out of my mouth were I was a concealed carry holder. And I have it with me. Do you have any instructions? I will always announce. I just think it's the polite thing to do. And uh, taking care of our boys in blue to make sure that, you know, you know, we cooperate with them as much as possible because we are the good guys with the gun. So, Sean, as you're aware, 
Recently, Ohio voters legalized recreational marijuana, which probably came as a surprise to a lot of people. And while BFA does not take any official stance on that, we have been concerned about misunderstandings on how the law works in relation to firearms. Because, you know, while taking a toke might be legal in the state now, it will remain illegal under federal law, which means if you use marijuana, you cannot legally possess guns or ammunition. Now, I want you to explain this because how can something be legal at the state level and illegal at the federal level at the same time? That does not seem to make sense. Right. It's puff, puff, pass, but don't puff, puff, pass the ammunition or the gun at the same time. Under federal law, marijuana is still a scheduled substance and an illegal drug. And if you uh, are used or partake in an illegal drug, uh, then you can't own or possess a firearm. And that includes a medical marijuana card, or it includes states where recreational marijuana is legal. It's still illegal under federal law. And federal law, as far as they're concerned, uh, overrides the state law. So they can come in and, and, and the feds can enforce that. Uh, it's, it's an interesting uh, paradigm because probably more than half the states now have recreational marijuana use. So I, I think probably before this next presidential election, they're going to have to decriminalize it because it doesn't make any sense anymore. You have all these stores that are all these growers that are growing all these stores that are selling and they can't even put their money in banks. So, you know, that's that's another whole part of it. But as far as marijuana and firearms go, 21F on the form 4473 is, uh, are you an unlawful user or addicted to marijuana or any depressant stimulant narcotic drugs or any other controlled substance? And it says, warning, uh, the use or possession of marijuana remains unlawful under federal law, regardless of whether it's been legalized or decriminalized in your state. So uh, on the form 4473, if you check, yes, you are, you can't, you can't purchase or possess a firearm. And which brings up an interesting thing. If I'm pulled over by the county sheriff, they issue my concealed carry permit, and in Ohio, it's on my registration, so I get a weed ticket because I roll down my window and the smoke billows out like Cheech and Chong, so I'm going to get a weed ticket, and then what happens? Because the sheriff knows I just got a weed ticket and also knows they issued me a concealed carry permit, and the officer asked me, and I told him that that I had the firearm, so you know, it could be inter interesting consequences down the road. Well, now you mentioned the form 4473. That's what you fill out when you buy a firearm. So I'm wondering, you know, what happens there? Because if you say yes, I assume that your sale will be denied, right? Because they're doing the background check and you're saying, right. yeah, I'm using marijuana or some other controlled substance. But if you say no, you're guilty of lying on a federal form. And that's what up to 10 years in prison. So, right. so what do you right. do? Do you just don't buy guns? You just don't fill out the form? Well, and, and I, uh, as a criminal defense attorney, I always try to find a way to defend uh, my client. Or, or, in my view, if I got high ten minutes before I went to buy a gun, and I decided consciously I'm never going to smoke marijuana again, and I fill out the form forty four seventy three, and they ask me if I'm an unlawful user, I used to be, but I'm not now. So that's how I think I can truthfully answer that question. And but. You're right. I mean, it's up to them. You're you're you're, uh, you're perjuring yourself on a form if you're lying, and and if somehow you get caught, and I'm telling you, the ATF will throw you in jail. I have a client doing uh, 60 months for uh, improperly filling out a 4473 and lying on that form, and they take it seriously. And 
not much happened as a result of that other than the fact that uh, they got him. And because they could get him, they, they, they put him in jail. And that's, again, that's up to 10 years potentially right. in prison for just checking the wrong answer on that form. Mm-hmm. Most of the time when the FFL sees that on a form, they won't even run it. They'll say, you're done. I can't sell you a gun. So it doesn't even get that far. And that's another reason why to have a, uh, a sealed carry permit. So, Sean, pot is not the only topic that confuses people. Let's talk about some other legal issues because, you know, we get questions all the time. Every week somebody's emailing or calling or asking questions. Now, just to be clear, I'm not an attorney. None of us who are taking these questions can give you personal legal advice. You can call Sean, but, you know, we can't give you personal legal advice, but we try to guide you in in the right direction, refer you to the law or refer you to an attorney refer you to some information that might be helpful, but we cannot give you personal legal advice. I want to talk about permitless carry. This is something that passed and went into effect last year, and it was a a great victory for us because BFA spearheaded that legislation. So it basically boils down to a fairly simple concept, although people are still confused about it. Sean, if you qualify to get a license to carry concealed, you, you qualify to carry without a license. In other words, you can carry with or without a license, but you have to meet the state qualification for getting the license. What are the disqualifications for carrying concealed where, you know, you, you might be able to own a gun, but you can't carry concealed in Ohio the way the law is written? One of the, one of the best examples uh, are I was convicted of assaulting a police officer 10 or 15 years ago. That can never be expunged, so that's always on my record, or assaulting a teacher. And because of that, I can't carry concealed, but I can own, I can possess, and I can purchase a firearm. I can open carry that firearm, but I cannot conceal carry that firearm. And so that's just one example of how I think, well, Ohio has permitless carry, and I start carrying concealed without a permit, and I know that I couldn't carry with a permit because I couldn't get one issued. So if I'm not qualified to have a permit issued, I'm not qualified to carry uh, without a permit. Because remember, we're following the Ohio concealed carry laws when when we're carrying without a permit. Now there's uh, a booklet you can read from the attorney general. And uh, you don't have to take the course if you're going to carry permitless. You don't have to pay the fees. You don't have to fill out the forms and all of that. You're just carrying. But you got to know what those rules are. The attorney general puts out a booklet and it outlines, you know, who can carry and who can't. So at the very least, go to the attorney general's website or go to the uh, BuckeyeFirearms.org website because you can download it on our website as well. Just take a look at it. Make sure that you're not disqualified. I would think that you would know if you were, but, uh, you know, it just takes a few minutes. Please do that. Because if you're carrying and you're not meeting the qualifications, you could uh, get in some serious trouble for that. Now, Sean, you mentioned open carry. In Ohio, that's kind of a funny thing. Even before BFA existed, you know, 20 years ago, you could carry openly. And you've always been able to carry openly in Ohio. There's nothing in the law that talks about open carry. So can we consider that true constitutional carry? In other words... If you can own a gun, you can carry a gun. You don't have to worry about any other qualifications. Is that right? 
That's correct. Uh, open carry in the state of Ohio really predates the Ohio Constitution, and open carry allows us to carry openly on our hip for the whole world to see without any training, without any class, without any qualifications whatsoever. That's been the law. Uh, again, it predates the Ohio State Constitution. And uh, that's something that we've had. So we've always had a, a form of, of constitutional carry. And we're a true open carry state. It's, it's, it's our state constitutional right. But again, uh, open carry and concealed carry are two different things. So you got to be careful, even though you can carry openly. As I mentioned before, there are certain crimes you commit that still allows you to purchase, possess, and open carry a firearm, but not concealed carry a firearm. And when you talk about a concealed carry permit and the training and reading the attorney general handbook, I always encourage people to get training. You're only going to be better after eight hours of training, and you're going to get information that you're not going to get out of the attorney general handbook. You're going to be able to discuss uh, the proper way to do things and ask your questions that we all have. Because let's face it, the attorney general uh, handbook is, is a brief outline of, of what the laws are. And you and I both know that these laws are changing constantly because, well, you're responsible for pushing legislation, Dean, to change our laws. So very, very few people are 100% up to date on the laws. And it's important that everybody out there, whether you have a permit or not, you have to know the laws because I didn't know is no excuse. Yeah, there are, there are concealed carry classes out there for, what, 100 bucks, 150 bucks. You can take this class, and a lot of it's about the law. It's, there's, I think, only two hours on the range, so it's not really right, about shooting. Right. It's about how to properly handle the firearm, how to obey the law. You're going to pay way, way less for taking that class than you're going to pay for a single hour from an attorney if you get in trouble. So it's definitely worth it. Financially, it's worth it. It's worth your time. Uh, you know, get the training. Uh, we always encourage people to get a license anyway because other states may still require you to have a license. Right. If I go to West Virginia, Kentucky, Pennsylvania, anywhere, when you went on that big hunting trip where you drove out, how many states did you go through, Sean? Like seven states? Right. You're, I'm through seven, eight, or nine states, and and I know where I'm navigating through. Uh, I can get on handgunlaw.us. Or, you, or Buckeye Firearms has a traveler's guide available for sale. And, and I encourage people to get that. It's a book. You can look at it simply and make sure you know whether they have reciprocity, whether they require a permit, or, or whether they're constitutional or, or permitless carry. But you have to abide by the laws in the state that you're in. And again, I don't know is not the right answer. It's never going to be accepted that way. And if if we're responsible enough to, to carry a firearm, then we have to be responsible enough to know the laws in the state that we're in. Now, there's a, an exception to our concealed carry laws in Ohio involving school safety zones. And if you have kids, you know, if you're you know taking them to school or picking them up from soccer practice or whatever, you need to be aware of that. If you're carrying concealed. School safety zones are still under federal law, Sean, is that correct? And you still need a license. I mean, the, the, the permitless carry does not apply here. You have to have a license in order to, to go into a school safety zone. Am I right? That's correct. Under federal law, the federal government mandates what a school safety zone is and how many feet from the property border that, that school safety zone is. And the only way that you can legally, under federal law, carry in a school safety zone is if that you're a qualified individual. And the only way under federal law to prove that you're a qualified individual is to have that state's concealed carry permit. And that's the only way you can do it. 
So if you're going to vote and lock your car, lock your gun in your car and you don't have a permit, you're violating the law. If you're dropping your kids off and you don't have a permit, you're violating the law. Uh, and so there's a, there's a number of different uh, different ways that you can violate the, the federal law with school safety zones. And the easiest one is, is just driving on that property, uh, dropping your kids off or going inside and locking your gun in the car without a permit. Uh, you're violating federal law. So, Sean, another topic that I think that people aren't really all that confused about, but in the moment, they get upset. If you have an encounter with law enforcement, generally you're pulled over, it's a traffic stop. But really, any kind of interaction with law enforcement, if a policeman comes up to you and starts asking you questions, it just sort of naturally, I think in most of us, kind of raises our blood pressure. We're wondering what's going on. Have I done something wrong? And, you know, you might not be thinking straight. Let's just go over, you know, how you should handle an encounter with law enforcement if you're carrying. What are the do's and don'ts? Well, of course, we've changed the law. Used to be we had to announce, promptly announce that we were concealed carry holders and we had our firearms with us. In fact, if we had to firearm. Now that law has been changed and it's a lot more clear, we don't have to inform the police officer that we're carrying a firearm unless he or she asks. And then we have a, a duty to, to answer truthfully, yes, we have the firearm. Uh, so if we're walking down the street and a, a police officer stopped us because there's been some crime committed and wants to ask us some questions, uh, that's a meaningful contact. And he or she has the right to ask, do you have a firearm? And, and I have an affirmative duty to answer, yes, I do, or, or no, I don't. And so that's one of the things. And then with the traffic stop, and I talked about a traffic stop earlier, I still go by the advice that I've been given for years. You know, if it's a nighttime, pull as far off the road as you can safely pull off, turn your dome lights on, windows down, and have your hands on the steering wheel. And the first words out of my mouth is I'm a concealed carry holder and I have my firearm with me. I know people are going to be arguing with me. Well, I don't have a right to do that, but you know what? Under those circumstances, and I respect law enforcement, why make things more difficult on, on myself and on them? They don't deserve that. So that's the, it's gotten a lot easier thanks to Buckeye and our changes with a duty to promptly inform, uh, to handle a traffic stop. But you have to remember that you still have that affirmative duty and you cannot, under any circumstances, touch that firearm. When they're walking up the car, you want to take it off your seat, and put it in the glove compartment. I've represented people that have done that because they didn't see the officer on the opposite side of the car, and then they're arrested for a felony for, for uh, touching a firearm at that point in time. The only time you should touch a firearm is if you're instructed to by law enforcement and follow any lawful order. Sean, you taught me a neat little trick. You said that uh, you have all of your cards all together in your wallet. And so when you said that, I thought, well, that's, that's a really simple, nice little piece of advice. And so in my wallet, I have my driver's license, my concealed carry license, my insurance card, and my registration. Uh, you know, it's all together. It's everything that a, an officer is going to need. And so I, there's a little tab in there, and I pull the little tab, and all four things come up. Yep. And I've got them right in my hand so I can sit, you know, 10 and 2 with my hands on the wheel and be ready. And the other thing is I roll down both windows. Right. On my side and the passenger side, the one time I was pulled over in the town where I live— the officer went up to the opposite window because sometimes, you know, they don't want to stand in right. the street. So I make sure that both windows are down, the dome light is on, I've got my flashers going, uh, the car's turned off, uh, 
my emergency brake is on. I've actually practiced this sitting in the garage and sort of visually went around where all the controls are so that within like 10 seconds, I can do everything that I need to do and pull out that information that I'm going to need. So all I have to do is just sit there and wait. Usually an officer sits in the car for a few minutes because they're running your license plate. So generally, they're not going to hop out of the car right away. There's going to be, you know, a minute or two before they actually come out. So you do have time to push all the buttons and open the windows and so on. But that that was a nice little trick, and that's come in handy when I have been pulled over. And, I'm, and Sean, I was only pulled over the once. I'm not pulled over every other day like you are. Well, I know I kind of I kind of smiled when you said the one time I was pulled over. I guess I like to say I try to get pulled over on a regular basis so I know how to handle it and I'm calmer at, with, with each time. Oh, I saw. So, so it's training. That's training. That's what yes, it I'm actually is. Training myself how to handle that situation. And the only thing different that I could do was have, have all that information clipped to my, uh, to my visor. But I tried doing that for a while, but then every time you get out, you got to have your ID. And, and so I, it was best just to keep it, like you said, in my wallet. And then I can say, officer, I have my concealed carry firearm with me. It's on my right hip. My, uh, information is in my wallets on my left side. Can I get it? And they generally, then they'll, they'll appreciate the fact that you asked them. And then they'll ask, and I pull my wallet out, and boom, just like you, all the information they're going to need is there. Because remember, if I need to get into my glove compartment to get my registration out, they have a right to search that. If I need to get in the center console, they have a right to search that. So anywhere I'm going to go, they can take a look. And i just rather things be seamless. I have nothing to hide. But that's the best way to do things. And trust me, the more comfortable you make law enforcement in today's day and age, where any traffic stop can end in their death, the better it is for everybody. You know, I went through the uh, Citizen Police Academy where I live, and one of the things that I learned and I hadn't really thought about before was, you know, you don't know where that officer's been. An hour before, they might have been in a shootout. Somebody was, you know, shooting at them, and then they pull you over for a traffic stop. That's not the time to have an argument with somebody. You know, I get that, you know, you have certain rights and you may feel that you weren't doing anything wrong or whatever that's that's just not the time to have that debate if an officer does something wrong take it up later there are processes where you can file complaints and so on but you don't know what that officer has been doing you don't know how jazzed up they are and you just don't want to create a bad situation you don't want it to be like an episode of cops right where you know you're you're yelling and screaming they're thinking you're crazy and then they call in five other officers, and, you know, the, the, the whole situation gets out of control. We're just trying to give advice to keep people safe and out of jail. Basically, that's that's what it is. Right. We just provide everybody with the legal information that we've had or we've learned over time, and, and uh, we impart that wisdom. And, again, if anybody has any specific questions, feel free to call me. Uh, 513-484-0142 is my cell phone. I'm always happy to talk to people. Uh, related to their rights and, and firearms. And, and Dean makes very good points. One o'clock in the morning on the side of a highway isn't the time to start arguing with anybody about anything. Just wait until uh, the proper time you'll have your, your, your chance to be heard. So, Sean, if you're carrying concealed, every now and then you're going to come to a building or a property that has a no-gun sign or what we like to call it, you know, a victim zone sign. Usually, these are signs that are pretty recognizable. They kind of look like the Ghostbuster sign from, you know, the movie. 
They'll, they'll have a picture of a gun. There'll be a red line through it, you know, a circle around the whole thing. And it says something like, no firearms permitted on this property, no guns allowed, or something like that. If you do, in fact, carry in a place that's posted, what's the penalty for that? Well, it's a, it's a civil penalty, and it's one that, they, that the premises has to bring against you, uh, essentially, for trespass. doesn't have the force of law. Uh, certainly if, if they, if you forget and you're there, just act calmly. If someone sees you and asks you to leave, just, just leave. Uh, there's no criminal, it doesn't have the force of law. So the police aren't going to come in and get you for that reason, but they have a right to, to trespass you and sue you civilly. And to my knowledge, nobody has ever been arrested or nobody has ever been sued for something like that. Landlord tenant laws and laws are so screwed up and so different. It's almost impossible to make any of those things work. I can remember when the outlet stores on Route 63 and 75 in uh, in Butler County first opened up, they had their parking lot posted. So as soon as you pulled off the main road into the driveway, there was no gun signs. Well, you can't force those, but you know they did it and caused a lot of problems for for a lot of time. So just got to pay attention. And then uh, you and I were talking before we started. You look at any grocery store, or any Kroger, or any place that that sells alcohol. UDF or no matter what the store is, you're going to see written language about a class D liquor permit. That's just language that they're required to put there by law, dealing with the fact that they sell alcohol and uh, not for consumption, but they sell alcohol. And that has nothing to do with your right to carry. You're always going to see the Ghostbuster sign and it has to be posted in a conspicuous location, meaning you don't have to look for it. It's right in your face. But that is confusing because there's uh, maybe a couple restaurants where I live where they have that class D sign. Right. Right. It doesn't have the Ghostbuster thing, but it it's an official sign. It usually has the governor's name on it. It cites the, the law, yeah. uh, you know, the, the section of the law. But it, it talks about firearms, and, and a couple of these places have it, like, right at the front door. Right. So I'm confused. Are they telling me they don't want me to carry there? Or, you know, I don't know what that means or what their intention is when they post that. So, obviously, there's some kind of confusion with them. Certainly, there's confusion with me. But th that's an entirely different kind of sign. That is not a, officially a no-gun sign, right? Correct. They're just, they're just making the statement that they sell alcohol on the premises. And why they need to say that, I don't know. But it's definitely not uh, the no-gun sign. You're going to see that with a line through it. Uh, and it, it'll be no concealed carrier or, or something. Again, there can't be any confusion. I can't say, you know, say, gee, I don't know what the hell that means, you know, and look at it. Well, if I can understand it, it's no different than not having the sign posted at all. So folks, when you see those, those have nothing to do with your right to carry concealed on the premises. So we've been talking about concealed carry and that deals with handguns, right? Our, our, in Ohio, our laws are about carrying handguns. What about rifles and shotguns? If you're transporting, like you went hunting, mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're in a car, you're going to have a rifle, a shotgun, long guns of some kind. How do you transport those? It's a little different than with your handgun, correct? Correct. That's a good question. Under the Firearm Owners Protection Act, or FOPA, it gives us a way for us to travel from one state to another uh, through that state where we necessarily aren't allowed to have firearms or our permits don't work. Or like in this case, it's long guns and you can't carry a loaded uh, long gun in that state. Simply, 
you have the firearm in a separate lock container and you keep the ammunition separate. Uh, somewhere on the outside of the bag, generally speaking, if you have a trunk, it needs to be in your trunk. So you have to get out of your car to get access to it. But if you're an SUV or a minivan, you need to be in a, in a separate lock container all the way in the back with the ammunition also kept separate. And that way you can travel unimpeded through state to state. So state A, you're allowed to have a firearm in. State B, you can't, but, but your destination is state C. So it allows you to safely, it allows you safe passage through that state to the state you're going to, uh, where you're not gonna, uh, not gonna supposed to be harassed. So that's a legal way to do that. Again, it's the Firearm Owners Protection Act. It, it's been around for decades and, and that's how we can safely transport uh, firearms that we put in before. So if we're talking about concealed carry, whether you have a license or not, that firearm, that handgun can be loaded. It can be on your person. It can be in a, a glove box, a locked container, whatever it is. But with the long guns, they have to be separate, unloaded, locked up. I have an SUV and it doesn't really have a, a trunk. It you know has one of those kind of loose little things that you pull to kind of, you know, hide the stuff that's in the back, but it's not locked up. So I could put my rifle back there in a locked container, unloaded ammunition in a separate container, right? And then Correct. and, and, I, and I should percent legal, right? So and so, in other words, I can't have a loaded AK on my passenger seat. Well, you can have a loaded AK pistol on your passenger seat, but not a rifle. So, so yeah, no, no long guns, no not, nothing considered uh, uh, rifles or shotguns or long guns. Now we're talking about vehicles here. One of the things that, that sometimes confuses people, especially if they're hunting, is that they're you know driving along, they see a buck because they're out on a country road, they you know pull out a gun, they shoot through the window, and they, they take a shot at the buck. You can't do something like that, right? I mean, you can't shoot from a vehicle, you can't shoot across the road. You uh, you got to be careful about how you're discharging the weapon, whether or not you're in city limits or outside city limits. Let's talk about, because there's a part of the law referring to the improper discharge of a weapon. Can you kind of walk us through that? Sure. Uh, there's places, obviously, that, that it's safe to shoot. They don't want people, like you said, using an example, hunting, driving down the road, slamming on the brakes and, and shooting out of the car because you're on the road. So generally speaking, you got to be so many feet off the road uh, before you can fire. And there's game laws that, that issue that. And there's also the Ohio Vice Code and 2923-161 and 162, discharge of firearms on or near prohibited premises or over roadway within so many feet of a cemetery within a school and whatnot. So uh, if you're on your own private property, you can discharge a firearm as long as you have a proper backstop. But if uh, you're right next door to your neighbors and you can't do it safely, then you can't discharge that farm. And again, you can't shoot across the road no matter what you're doing. Uh, and you can't uh, shoot across the school or, or near a school building or even a church. So there are certain circumstances, even though we have, especially in a township, you pretty much have a right to shoot a firearm anywhere. Well, it's still unlawful to discharge those firearms. Think about people that you see on TV that are celebrating or firing those guns in the air. Well, that's the biggest mistake you can possibly make because we've said before, you're responsible for every bolt that leaves that barrel. And there's been more than one occasion where someone's been doing that shooting in the air and what goes up must come down and someone dies. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, uh, New Year's comes along. I know that at least a, a few 
knuckleheads will uh, you know shoot their guns in the air rather than just putting off fireworks. Fireworks are legal now. You can own them. You can put them off on certain days in, in Ohio, although some uh, cities can opt out of that. Sean, in most cities in Ohio, uh, they almost certainly have laws about discharging weapons within city limits. So I live within the city limits. I cannot go in my backyard. I'm in a suburban area. I can't go in my backyard and target practice. Uh, you know, if a raccoon gets on my roof, one Thanksgiving I had raccoons screwing around on my roof and my my uh, relatives were like, well, just, you know, shoot, shoot it off. Just shoot it. And I was like, well, number one, I don't want to put holes in my roof. Number two, I just can't do that because the cops are going to come out. I'm within city limits. I cannot discharge my weapon in the city, right? Yeah, generally speaking, there every city throughout the United States, they have, they have laws against the unlawful discharge or discharge of firearms within a city limit. I, I, I don't know how often they're enforced. I know Chicago probably doesn't enforce those much at all. But I have represented people in the past that were outside an alley, uh, that were right right beside their neighbors that are 10 feet away and decide to shoot a gun in the backyard. And they're arrested for improperly discharging a firearm within city limits because it still has to, to be safe. I mean, uh, orchards, uh, anywhere close to a schoolhouse, churches, inhabited dwellings, uh, they're improper to discharge a firearm. They're now if you're on a farm or if the house next to you is a ways away and you have an outdoor range in the back where you can safely do it, that's one thing. But stepping on your back porch like Joe Biden suggests and give a double blast of a shotgun, that's not going to cut it. So most townships, because townships are different than cities or villages, and in most townships, I understand in Ohio, you can discharge a weapon on your property, but there are rules. You've got to be— that's correct. What, like three, 300 feet away from an inhabited dwelling, something like right. that, have a backstop and so on? Yeah, correct. The, um, because of the Ohio Revised Code, 2923.12, concealed carry in different, the different sections related to firearms, in townships, they can't create their own uh, firearms laws. They're allowed, you're permitted to shoot under the Ohio Revised Code, so they really can't do anything else. Some zoning things, but generally speaking, like you said, 300 feet of a dwelling of a proper backstop, then pretty much you're all set to go. Uh, but keep in mind that every year I read about a township trying to change the law somehow, allow themselves to outlaw and to ban firearms. Uh, so that's something that that's not going away, but it is legal for you to do that. Shoot and hunt in a township. Again, you just have to make sure everything's done safely. So Sean, we've been talking a little bit about transporting and airports and concealed carry and so on. One of the things that sometimes comes up if people will ask a question about protecting property. You can protect yourself. You can protect family. What about if someone's stealing your car? You're coming out of the grocery store. You see somebody uh, taking off in your car. Can you just start shooting at them? No. Uh, a case called Catgo versus Briley out of Iowa, probably in the 1940s, was a case, a spring-loaded shotgun. A farmer built another house next to the house he grew up in. People kept breaking into that house, and he got rather disgusted and annoyed. So he put a spring-loaded shotgun in one of the bedrooms, and someone came in one night and uh, opened the bedroom door and, and took a double barrel to the chest. And the Supreme Court decided that uh, human life was more valuable than property. So if somebody is uh, stealing your car and you say stop, and you've got to let them drive away, if you get to the car and you say stop and put your hand on the steering wheel 
and a fight breaks out, then certainly you're allowed to defend yourself. And if the fight gets to the point in time where you're in fear of death or serious bodily injury, then, then you're free to use lethal force as required by law. But remember, you can't start the fight and, th- and then have it elevate to the fact where you need uh, to use lethal force. I always advise people, you can replace your TV, cars are insured, your life's not worth trying to stop somebody. And more and more in today's society, we at the Walmart near us, we had a good Samaritan try to stop somebody that was shoplifting, try to help the Walmart employee. The guy put out a handgun and shot and killed him. So, you know, it's it's not... I don't want you to dissuade you from being a good Samaritan, but remember, your life is more important than any piece of property, and and, and so is any human life. Well, Sean, we had something like that happen not that long ago where I lived just down the street at an auto zone. The place was being robbed, and uh, some guy tried to intervene, and he got shot, and he died right on the scene. And that was just yeah. down the street for me. You know, just— um, you know, I know people, you see movies, you see TV shows, and you think, you know, I'm going to be the hero. Don't. That's just a really bad idea. Unless you're defending your life, you have no choice. Don't intervene in a situation like that because it could turn out really bad. You know, and I often get the questions, and I think you've been with me when I've been speaking, and people ask me the question, what if you're in UDF and, and uh, someone's robbing and sticking up the, the cashier lady? What should you do? My answer is always the same. Hide behind a potato chip rack because the best gunfight you've been in is, is the one you've never been in. But if it comes to the point in time where you have to make a decision, you have to be ready to act. But I always tell people, you never know what a person's going through. You never know what's on a person's mind in their tough situations where we're trying to, you're trying to protect the money that AutoZone has. And I'm sure AutoZone has rules that let them go, let them walk out the door. So, uh, yeah, your most, life's more important than anything. Yeah, my, uh, my wife used to work in security and, you know, anti-theft for a large corporation uh, based here in central Ohio. And their rules are the same as pretty much everybody's. It's, you know, when somebody's uh, shoplifting or anything like that, you just let, let them do it. You don't right. intervene because, number one, there's the safety issue for employees. And number two, you're just don't want to get into that legal situation because then they could turn around and sue the store. So the, the their general rule is you just let people, uh, right. just let them do what they're going to do. It doesn't happen enough until they're losing so much money they're going to go out of business. It's just a dangerous situation. All the way around it is, again, from the, the civil aspect of a lawsuit of wrongly accusing somebody or chasing them and hurting them and, of course, having them uh, retaliate and, and, and turn and fire a shot. I was in a Cabela's and a gentleman had an armful of stuff. They were yelling at him to stop and he just walked right out the door. And they said, we're not allowed to stop him. We're not allowed to touch him. And we called the police. Uh, Sean, this would be a good time for a reminder on when you can use lethal force for self-defense. That you, you have, uh, You've worked this all out. You've spoken about this a lot. Give us the definition of legal use of lethal force when can you use your firearm or any lethal force in self-defense you know there's there's a lot of gray areas in the law uh, i mean that i guess that's why uh, they create laws so they can create attorneys also to deal with these gray areas but it's very clear there's a very bright line we talk about using lethal force in self-defense and the standard throughout the country is when you're in fear of death 
or serious bodily injury or harm immediately. It's going to happen right now. And essentially, the only way that you can get yourself out of this situation is by using lethal force. So you have to be in fear of death or serious bodily injury or harm. Uh, the person has to have the ability to harm you, the opportunity to harm you, and has to put you in fear of death or serious bodily injury or harm. Then clearly you can use lethal force. But anything less than that, uh, then no, it can't be used. And that's when people get into trouble. Uh, they get into trouble when they pull a gun too quick. They get in trouble when the threat's gone and they're running away and they keep shooting or start shooting. So remember, folks, it's when you're faced with immediate fear of death or serious bodily injury or harm, when the only way that you can be assured of saving your life is by using lethal force and, and possibly taking another. And this is where, you know, the internet is a great source of information, but it's a great source of disinformation, too, because of all the videos and all the so-called experts out there. You know, people think it's true just because they see it online. Uh, my advice, and I'm sure that you would agree with me, is if you have a serious question about the law regarding firearms, don't get your advice online. You got to speak to an attorney. Sean, you've already given out your phone number. Maybe you want to do that again. How can people reach you if they have a serious question about firearm law. My cell phone, 24 hours a day, is 513-484-0142. My office direct is 513-463-0073. And I'll be happy to talk to you. And, uh, and folks, even if you're in Kentucky, Indiana, or California, you can give me a call. I can refer you to people in your state that can answer the questions that you have. And there's no such thing as a dumb question, especially when it comes to lethal force in the law. Just give me a call directly, and I'll, we'll be happy to, to do everything we can possibly do. And that's one thing, folks, that Buckeye Farms Association uh, has probably set its mission on is to clarify things, make sure uh, the resources are out there for you to obtain knowledge on the law. Certainly, we have enough, a lot of information on our website online, but if there's anything Above and beyond that, you don't understand, just give me a call. Sean, do you want to say something about Second Call Defense? Because you're one of the co-founders of that organization, and that's really all about, you know, if you have to use lethal force, and then you're probably going to need an attorney right away. How does Second Call Defense help people? Well, thanks, Dean. Uh, folks, after we use a firearm or lethal force, any weapon in self-defense, there's going to be consequences. And so I advise people, the first thing you want to do after you're forced to use a lethal force is to call 911 and to summon help. After that, you hang up and call Second Call Defense on our 24-hour emergency hotline, where an attorney will be immediately connected with you. We'll stay on the line. We'll answer questions. We'll talk to the police on your behalf and handle everything from the beginning of the investigation till the end. And then for some reason, if you're arrested, We'll provide immediate bond or bail money for you to get you out of jail as quickly as possible. And we'll immediately start finding the most qualified attorneys in the jurisdiction where the shooting took place. Then when we find those attorneys and you approve of those attorneys, we'll pay the retainer. And we pay the ongoing attorney's fees to represent you uh, and, until everything's taken care of. And that's just a service that I provided after many years of practicing criminal defense. I realized that in most cases, when my clients were forced to use firearms, they were being persecuted more than prosecuted a lot of times, and they had to have a better way to defend themselves because it can be expensive, it can be confusing, 
and we wanted to make sure that, that we had the best answers for people and the best solution for someone that was forced to use a firearm in self-defense. Now, just to clarify, Second Call Defense is a membership organization. You got to be a member. When you call, you can't get in trouble and then all of a sudden join. So people need to go to secondcalldefense.org. Is that correct, Sean? And That's they correct. Can... And click on plans of pricing or join now. And it's a simple application process. And as soon as you click pay and you're charged, you're, you're covered. And you can pay monthly or you can pay annually. Uh, and we have a lot of resources online, a lot of videos, a lot of training, uh, a, a lot of content that you can look at that should answer most of your questions. But again, if you have questions beyond that, you can always feel free to call me. Well, Sean, thanks for spending some time with us and clearing up some of these areas of confusion. You know, there's a lot more we could talk about, but we've just run out of time. Just wanted to say have a great Thanksgiving, and we'll see you again soon. Well, thank you. And there's 54 million people listening to us right now that are going to be traveling over Thanksgiving. So be safe, everybody, and have a great holiday season. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at BuckeyeFirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to joinbfa.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.